is cool about motorcycles? Nothing. I agree, but we obviously are in the minority here. There has to be something about motorcycles that is cool. Mm-hmm. Like, is it, uh, that, mm-hmm. is, is it, is it that it has 50% fewer wheels than a car? <laughs> Depends on the car. I have wondered this um, to a certain degree and then immediately stopped thinking about it because I write off uh, the people who ride motorcycles as mm-hmm. assholes. And, and, um, and, they, and they ride off into the sunset away from you, so, I mean, now, it's, it's mutual. <laughs> I've known motorcyclists before. Let me rephrase that. I've known people who, have, who ride motorcycles. Yeah. Um, I didn't want it to sound like I've known bikers, and I have questions <laughs> for you about bikers <laughs> later on. Uh, I, I get the, the, like, what this particular movie is trying to romanticize, I get the appeal of. The mm-hmm. open road, uh, freedom, sort of, freewheeling sort of deal. I don't understand motorcyclists in urban settings. I yeah. think it should be illegal to ride motorcycles through residential areas. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think... Uh, Okay, I'm going to go immediately to one of my safe places. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. We're, hit, we're hitting <laughs> into the panic room in, like, one minute in. This is great. Uh, Mythbusters did an episode on the fuel efficiency of motorcycles, and there's really no benefit to them. They might have – I think – I'm trying to remember what the episode was. I think they get better – fuel efficiency but they put out more emissions or something like that yeah yeah i i think i because folks landon and i have had this conversation before about motorcycles i think it is yes that you, you whatever you save in gas you a more than make up for in the amount of pollution you're putting out and b you don't even save that much money because then your insurance is so much more expensive because they are right. wildly dangerous right so it, it, all of that said it's it, it I feel like it appeals to people who like to flaunt the law to yes. a degree. Like it's yes. legal, but you're just kind of an obnoxious douche. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not in the same way of like the Wall Street Bros who have their you know roles. Uh, you're you're an obnoxious douche in a different direction. <laughs> well, I, but I would also say that in like I I've known I I've known one person in my life actually two people who have who have owned motorcycles and admittedly were were on the younger side but other than that every person I see on a motorcycle tends to be an old guy and based on like I I think ba- basically what I'm trying to get at is I think a lot of Wall Street bro douchebags are the ones riding motorcycles because a Harley Davidson is not cheap especially if you're specking that thing out you can be spending forty thousand dollars or more i mean usually more on on well, a motorcycle so it's like it's if this it movie is, if you're going by the logic of this movie posits like you don't you can afford that harley because you don't have a home you're yeah. just you're on the open road every the motorcycle is your your sole possession Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That that and your that and your leathers and uh, maybe a you know maybe a ukulele that you strum at the uh, at the campsite in one scene. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Look. I. I'm in agreement on this. I honestly, I don't even know why I started out asking you why motorcycles are cool because neither one of us is well suited to answer this question. But if if I well, okay, someone once whose father rode motorcycles explained something to me once, or at least uh, she related relayed to me the the this 
anecdote from her father. And to me, it was just like, in the moment, I'm like, oh. And then, like, literally the second I walked away from that night, I was like, wait a minute. Fuck him. <laughs> which is, which is this. Uh, she said that it's often uh, motorcycles try to make themselves louder for safety concerns so that oh. cars can um, hear them more when they're on the road and so they don't you know, merge lanes or, or, or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that oh, makes sense. Yeah, and then I'm like, yeah. if you have to go through that much fucking noise pollution just so that you can continue to ride your emission-polluting machine – Go fuck yourself twice as hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, uh, hey, fellow office mates. I'm sorry that I'm loudly farting all the time, but I've decided <laughs> that's the only way I can make sure that none of you come around a corner and walk into me while holding a cup full of coffee. This is the only possible way to keep that from happening. Maybe there's downsides for you guys, but I'm just trying to stay safe. Oh, Lord. Um, But let's spoil the secret. We are here uh, watching... Wild well, Hogs this week. We, we we have watched Wild Hogs. I am are... currently watching it in the oh, background. Oh man. Uh, well, okay. Then then you're then you're going you're going double wild. You're you're uh, you've got you're given the whole hog right now. Uh, <laughs> yes, the movie Wild. That would have been the name of the sequel, wouldn't it? Wild uh, Hogs colon the whole hog. Uh, actually, no. The name of the sequel to Wild Hogs was going to be. Uh, it. Oh, was... you have it. Oh yeah. It was going to be called Wild Hogs 2 Bachelor Ride, but plans were canceled in December 2009 following the failure of oh. Old Dogs, directed by right, the same yes. person, also starring John Travolta. Walt Decker. We'll get into him in a second. Uh, so that that posits, like, uh, William H. Macy and Marissa Tomei, spoiler alert for who's in this movie, Yes, <laughs> um, getting married, and so they're going to do one last Bachelor Ride. I can kind of see how you formulate a, a script around that. Yeah, yeah, sure, and we could, and that would also be great because it would give us more opportunity to delve into the really like beautiful romance between Marissa Tomei and William H Macy in this movie. One that is really, you know, you can really understand looking at it why these two characters are together, what she sees in him. No, uh, a, a real before <laughs> sunrise kind of situation. I, this, I, 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 <laughs> I think I have some things that are going to surprise you. Uh, when we get a little bit deeper into our, our personal reflections here, but let's, uh, let's set the stage. What is wild hogs about? I mean, I mean it, I do, do you really need to ask? I mean, it's right there in the title. Uh, <laughs> I do. Okay. In the movie, wild hogs, Four middle-aged suburban motorcycle enthusiasts, orthodontist Doug Madsen, played by Tim Allen, lawyer Woody Stevens, played by John Travolta, plumber Bobby Davis, played by Martin Lawrence, and computer programmer Dudley Frank, played by William H. Macy, love to escape the pressures of their day-to-day -day lives by tooling around the neighborhood on their Harleys. When they embark on a cross-country road trip to reclaim their lost sense of adventure and run afoul of a fearsome biker gang led by Jack Blade, played by Ray Liotta, the hogs have to go wilder than ever to finish this road trip in one piece. I can tell you working writing copy. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and also that I just came out of a meeting with the rest of my team where I had to read uh, copy to them about various oh, uh, software products. So, yeah, you guys, you got me cooking. I'm fresh tonight. You want to hear about oh, God. generative AI features in a certain photo editing program? Eh. Okay. 
before we get into personal reflections, let's go into a little bit of the specs of this movie, shall mm-hmm. we? Yes, yes, let's. Okay. Let's spec this bad boy out. <laughs> Wild Hogs was released in 2007, directed by Mr. Walt Becker. Mm-hmm. From Steely uh, Dan. Are you familiar with Walt Becker? I, I yeah, he and uh, Donald Fagan, uh, you know, uh, funk rock uh, kind of champions of the 70s and the 80s. Um, I'm never going to stop making this joke for the rest of the episode. I think it is very funny that the director of this movie has the same name as Walter Becker from Steely Dan. Uh, no, I've, I've not seen any movies of his before. <laughs> uh, he His very first movie was National Lampoon's Van Wilder. Oh, what an auspicious start. <laughs> uh, he, I don't know why this movie comes up every once in a while, but uh, a movie that no one has seen, I'm pretty convinced of, called Buying the Cow uh, with mm. Jerry O'Donnell. Okay. Um, so he only had those two under his belt before going into Wild Hogs. Wow. Uh, from Wild Hogs, he goes into Old Dogs with John Travolta <laughs> and... Um, Robin Williams. From, from, that, now, from now on, I will only make movies that rhyme with the title of my previous movie. <laughs> That's why his next movie um, is called Cold Fog. He goes into some TV directing uh, for a little bit, um, and then came back out in 2015 with uh, Elvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip. <laughs> and then in 2021, Clifford, The Big Red Dog, which oh. I believe was a film completely derailed by... Uh, the pandemic and no other reason. Yep, yep. No, that movie was going to be a a gigantic hit. Jack Whitehall's American <laughs> debut was going to blow the whole world away were it not for that pesky novel coronavirus. Now, this movie is written by Brad Copeland. Oh yes, who was it ever? <laughs> has an interesting writing career. Does he uh, ever? Starting with the story of one episode of News Radio, yep. uh, six episodes of Arrested Development, yep. <laughs> then uh, he has three episodes of My Name is Earl at the same time that he writes Wild Hogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could kind of see a, a similarity between My Name is Earl and and Arrested Development to a degree, depending on the episode and and you well, know. Were, were you were you an Earl head? Did you watch My Name is Earl? Uh, I think I watched the first two seasons. Um, yeah, yeah. I th- yeah for, first first couple seasons were pretty good. I, I remember enjoying it quite a lot. I I, I felt like it was pretty tightly written and has been kind of lost to the sands of time now. Yeah. Uh, he then went. Uh, after Wild Hogs, into Yogi Bear. Yep. The Justin Timberlake movie. Yep. Uh, Perfect casting. the American version of The Inbetweeners, which is a, a massive British uh, sitcom mm-hmm. that did not take off here. Like so many uh, like so many British sitcoms do not take off in the U.S. <laughs> uh, the very short-lived uh, TV movie, uh, or TV movie, what am I talking about? Oh God! I, sorry, I, I mixed up my the credits as I was reading. He no. wrote the TV movie called Chevy, starring mm. Chevy Chase. Ugh. Then wrote the screenplay for Ferdinand, the hit Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Um, eight episodes of Life in Pieces, and he's still working. Uh, having written a children's movie called Flora and Ulysses, he wrote the. What? Okay, maybe you can answer this for me. Why does this movie live in infamy in my head? 
Spies in Disguise. Okay, here's why Spies in Disguise lives in infamy in your head. They That okay. movie has been getting promoted on and off for what feels like eight years. There have been standees <laughs> in, in theaters for so long of like CGI Will Smith in a tuxedo standing next to like a pigeon and, and uh-huh. they're, they're friends somehow or like Will Smith is a spy who becomes a pigeon. Like I... Like, I was seeing the standees for, like, a year and a half before I even saw a trailer. The trailer was not good. Did the movie even come out? 2019. 2019? I don't know, man. That's a movie. Four years ago. (laughs) Look, I, I, uh, Spies in Disguise, I I sometimes wonder if that's, like, a, uh, I don't know, MKUltra, COINTELPRO, government psyop thing. (laughs) And like, li- liter- like, literally, spies were in disguise in those standees recording us, and and you know, I, I yeah, no, sp- spies in disguise is is a whole other podcast. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, good. I, I thank you for clearing that up in my head. Uh, Did I? So he he wrote that, uh, and uh, he's written a couple other. He, it looks like he's dipped back into uh, writing some irreverent uh, independent movies. Um, one starring Brian Cranston only a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um. I want to yeah. take a second to, like, while we're talking about Brad Copeland, I, I want to yeah. just take a second to say, because I, I, spoiler alert, the script for the movie Wild Hogs is not great. It's, it's not, there's a couple, there I, there were a couple moments in it that I was genuinely surprised to be laughing. There are a couple of lines and bits that are g- genuinely funny. And when I was looking up uh, uh, Brad Copeland online, and I saw that he wrote for Arrested Development, like, he produced, like, 30 or 40 episodes and some of the episodes that mm-hmm. he wrote he wrote two of my absolute favorite arrested development episodes one of them sort of destiny uh where you know uh, i don't need to explain to you the episode he also wrote an episode called <laughs> amigos where they all go down to mexico that is the episode yeah. where uh Jean, yes a gene parmesan he, this guy originated the arrested development character gene parmesan he created gene parmesan all i can assume about the movie Wild Hogs is that some producers went hog wild with notes on this and Brad <laughs> Copeland was just like, hey, uh, you know what? Yeah, pay me. Why not? Arrested Development just got canceled. I need the money. Um, well, we, we'll get into that. I have some suspicions. Uh, as I've been having suspicions in these movies we've been watching about what happens to scripts once they get on set. <laughs> Horrible things. Awful, <laughs> awful things happen to scripts. Um, I want to, okay, just real quick before we... we really get into this thing talk about the four main characters yes uh as you mentioned in the synopsis we've got john travolta yes we've got martin lawrence we've got william h macy and we've got the reason we're watching this movie tim allen yes tim allen now uh i want to talk just real brief about not their entire career but where they were in their career when they made this movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so john travolta was on his very odd moment in his career where he survived the 90s, I think, writing on that Pulp Fiction fame. Oh, yeah. And was able to kind of come come back to a degree. You know, mm-hmm. he, he did it through Face Off and, like, you know, whatever you want to say through 1999, he was still, you know, a leaning man. I mean, and now was this movie pre or post Swordfish? 
this is post Swordfish. Swordfish oh, was 2001. Mm. Uh, so, and that's where exactly where I was going to go with this. So, here here's kind of his going into the 2000s. This movie, Wild Hogs, tw- 2007. Yeah. Here's what we've got: Swordfish, Domestic Disturbance, Great and Basic. I think those are movies that turned a profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just kind of your run-of-the-mill thrillers. Yeah. Uh, he does his, you know, uh, cameo in Goldmember <laughs> as the famous Goldmember. Um, then he does something kind of unusual, which is taking the the villain role in 2004's The Punisher, mm-hmm. which I think showed him in a, a new light that we hadn't seen maybe, maybe since Face Off. I guess it's not really too much different than Face Off. But yeah. then we begin some odd choices. Um Ladder 49, which is just kind of a a run-of-the-mill firefighter drama, Mm -hmm. which I think is trying to play off the the popularity of those sorts of films post-9-11. Yeah, yeah. Um, But not a a hit. A a genre that has really died out. There were, like, a bunch of firefighter (laughs) action movies in the early 2000s that everyone was just kind of like, this is not workable. People want to see heroes shooting people, and firemen don't really do that, so yeah. Uh, then he does the follow-up to Get Shorty, which is Be Cool. Oh, does yes. Does not do well. No. That was in 2005. No. Uh, then he kind of disappears for a little bit. Uh, to the, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, he Magnificent uh, Desolation. Oh, it's a short film. Sorry. Mm. Uh, but there's a film called Lonely Hearts in 2006 that he does that, to my understanding and knowledge, doesn't even register on the radar, barely. Yeah. So he doesn't really have a hit. Uh, for about three years leading up to Wild Hogs. Yeah, and, yeah. And really, not even a comedy. I mean, he's got Be Cool, I guess, uh, but it, not a successful comedy. Let me no, that no. So this is kind of an interesting, like, how do I how do I get back on top, you know, if I, if I do a comedy that I'm supported by other comedians uh, and comedic actors, maybe, maybe I can glom onto some sort of momentum with that. And, and and also, I mean, his character in the Get Shorty movies, I, I mean, a lot of the comedy is that he is just very stoic. I mean, he's the straight man, and it's just, would you look at these Hollywood people who are kind of messing around? <laughs> like, he's uh, Chili Palmer, the character he plays, kind of just stands there and very calmly reacts to everything that's going yes. on. So he's not really doing bits in that movie. He is reacting to bits calmly. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Martin Lawrence. Oh, yes. Uh, obviously, his big show, Martin, went till 1997, mm-hmm. uh, and he came out of that. Um, Bad Boys, uh, I think, was his, his biggest, you know, leading role uh, sure. during the show in 1995. Yeah. yeah. Uh, comes out of it, a, a movie star, doing Nothing to Lose, uh, mm-hmm. Life with Eddie Murphy, which doesn't do well, but... Um, he's able to maintain a leading man uh, comedic actor status uh, with Blue Streak mm-hmm. and uh, Big Mama's House comes out in 2000. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, Big Mama's House. <laughs> <laughs> then he starts to take it, what I, I can't blame him for this. It seems like a, a, a no brainer. You try to do a crossover hit. Uh, what's the worst that can happen? Him and Danny DeVito um, mm-hmm. doing a, a kind of a crime a buddy crime uh, comedy. Yeah. It seems like it would work on paper. He does Black Knight, the time travel, you know, uh, fish out of water story. <laughs> Not great. No. But he is able to come back in 2003 with two massive hits, National Security and mm. Bad Boys 2. 
Yes, yes. But he parlays that back into the comedy world with Rebound, which does not do well. Uh, Big Mama's House 2 mm-hmm. in 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, open Season in 2006, <sighs> which is a, a animated movie. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of got this weird, like... He's got a precarious situation on his hands by 2007. He needs a hit to maintain his his com- uh, comedic actor leading status. Yes. Okay. And so so we have so, two two actors in this movie in precarious career situations, desperate yes. for a hit in order to maintain their viability as leading men. Great. Okay. Yes. Uh, now we're going to talk about William H Macy. Oh, who, God bless. I I feel like talking career wise. I mean, he's never been a leading man, so. Uh, his career is different than I think the other three leads. He's never been a leading man in like franchisey blockbustery movies. Like the closest he got was mystery men, which is an ensemble movie that failed very hard. (laughs) Well, okay. So let's talk a little bit about his rise. Uh, you know, he's a, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, dude from Magnolia. Yeah. Uh, and, and Boogie Nights. Yeah. First he was from Boogie Nights. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think also, I'm sorry, before we before we talk any more about William H. Macy's career, I need to point out the most amazing and unbelievable thing about him. He's from Florida. He was born in Miami. He is the least... Gross. I, I, I agree, gross. He's just... The, it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't seem like he would be a Florida man, but he is, so... Yeah, well, t- what can you do? Yeah, kind of derailed the momentum, but I feel like that was important to talk about, and I don't get a lot of chances <laughs> to tell people William H. Macy's from Florida. Go on, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, what else? Um, okay, so then going into 2000, I think, uh, you know, he's he's got this uh, patina about him. Um, he is in a David uh, Mamet movie, State in Maine, in 2000 <laughs> with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh. Um, and so then he gets cast in a, a supporting role in Jurassic Park 3. Oh. <laughs> but it doesn't derail him because he's also he's just he's he's got this indie uh stardom about him. So he continues doing indie movies, Welcome to Collinwood, um uh The Cooler, which is I think is maybe his biggest indie film uh, yeah. of the early 2000s. Yeah, okay. Of the early 2000s, yes, probably that yeah. probably that was. Uh but the same year he has a supporting role in Seabiscuit. Mm-hmm. Which is nominated for Academy Award. Oh, and and I remember that role. He was TikTok McLaughlin, the uh, the yeah. the horse race announcer. And I feel like he is again like this. He is such a good character actor. He's very well suited to doing quirky weirdos at the edges of a movie. <laughs> so th- uh, from from that, from Sea Biscuit and the Cooler to Wild Hogs, he kind of alternates between. I mean, he's working hard. He's got multiple movies a year, but he's alternating between these indie movies, a little bit of TV, some TV movies, and some big ones like Sahara with uh, uh, Matthew uh, Steve McConaughey. Um, and, and, yes, and Steve Zahn. And Steve Zahn. Uh, thank you for smoking. An indie, you know, You're welcome. Uh, Jason Reitman oh, movie. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he plays himself in a 2006 episode of The Simpsons, mm. which is a, a milestone in many actors' careers. Yeah, and many um, political figures' careers, too. See Tony Blair, that, former prime minister. <laughs> then in 2006, he does the Emilio Estevez movie Bobby about uh, Robert Kennedy and David Lynch's Inland Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coming out of that, that's where he's at. Uh, for Wild Hogs. I, I feel like he's at this point where he's just, he's got momentum and maybe is looking 
for a crossover hit to become a leading actor. I don't want to, you know, guess on his part, but that kind of seems like he keeps trying these bigger movies to see if he can grab onto something, um, you know, something big, and it just doesn't keep happening for him. But I, um, like, I, I would, I would go so far as to say that his career was possibly in the best place out of any of the four leads in this yes. movie at this point, because it just simply because it's like. He is a very well-established and recognizable character actor who is never wanting for work in that realm. Yes. Maybe he's having difficulty getting to the leading man level, but does he even really want that? I don't know. I mean... Yeah. Uh, who uh, knows? Also, I mean, maybe maybe at that point he did? I don't know. And I also, I like, I I not realized he was in Inland Empire, but like, look at this, look at this dude who has the ultimate indie trifecta of Paul Thomas Anderson, Coen Brothers, David Lynch, and then actually it's a quadfecta because he's in all of these David Mamet movies too. He's in Spartan, yeah. he's in uh, uh, State and Maine. Um, yeah. All right, that brings us to Mr. Tim Allen. Wait, who? What's his name? <laughs> Uh, now, this is just continuing the conversation from last week, because uh, Zoom was 2006, The Santa Claus 3, 2006, <laughs> uh, The Shaggy Dog, 2006. So, he's very in children's movie realm here. He's just up to his he's, elbows. He's basically the white Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> Cut, print. Done, end of podcast. We that that's we've gotten to this point. That is a perfect observation, and it is very true. So I I would imagine getting the script for Wild Hogs because he does Wild Hogs, and then right on the 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 heels of it, he does Red Belt mm-hmm. as a supporting role in a dra- uh, dramatic David Mamet movie. Well, well yeah, man, I have to imagine at this point in his career, he's got the money, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's got. A massive sitcom under his belt. He's got a massive franchise under his belt with yeah. the Santa Clauses. Yeah. He's a Disney and, oh, and Toy Story. To of Toy course. Story. Yeah. He's a he's a Disney you know uh, institution with mm-hmm. the Shaggy Dog with you know Toy Story. <laughs> yeah. Santa Claus, etc. E- equally equally big movies: the Shaggy Dog and Toy Story. Disney institution. <laughs> Uh, I would imagine he's probably at a point in his career where he wants to try go go back to his like kind of masculine comedic roots a yes. little bit yes. or or try try to branch out a little bit because red belt is a, a big swing mm-hmm. uh and i think he does well in it but um yeah not something i, I think we're gonna end up covering here but yeah alas uh, that's kind of where i i think tim allen is when he he takes the role of uh doug madsen mm-hmm. in wild hogs yeah thank yeah. you for coming to my ted talk uh, that's all I have for this episode. I will see you next time. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, this is a, more of a comment than a question, but I just wanted to say how much I really <laughs> loved uh, Tim Allen in Zoom. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, so what security. we... Security. We'll take this guy out. <laughs> that's true. I, as a Tim Allen fan, you don't want to get too close. Um, yeah, so I guess Tim Allen probably... So, so Tim Allen and William H. Macy's careers are probably in the best possible places. It's just yeah. that... Tim Allen is, I think, coming off of a bunch of poorly well, received movies that nonetheless yeah, may have made I, some I, money. Maybe they're in the best of places, those two, but I, I would... Well, I don't know. I think Martin Lawrence is in a pretty good place. They're, but I think they're all in a... Like, I would put Tim Allen in the same kind of boat as Martin Lawrence and, and John Travolta, where they're going to be fine. Like, you know, financially, they're they're... 
there's nothing to worry <laughs> worry about. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a a point in their career where they kind of have to decide what they want to do. Yeah, yeah. And they're, what they want to do is wild hogs. But they, what the, they're they're at a crossroads in their life, and they decide to navigate that crossroads on motorcycles. Can, um, and, I mean, to me, if that comes across my desk and I'm in their position, like having you know three weeks on the road shooting a film with uh you know three other comedic actors sounds kind of appealing. I, I don't I don't blame anyone for taking this role. I, no, I, I certainly don't. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think I ever blame anyone for taking a role. I mean, money <laughs> is money, and and working as an actor is hard. I, I think everything about this movie. I, I mean, it, it seems like it's just designed to just get greenlit. I mean, here you have like yeah. like looking at. I don't know. This is a thing that I was reflecting on during the movie. You know, the fact that the executives who are giving the thumbs up or thumbs down to finance these movies tend to be middle-aged guys with a lot of money <laughs> and maybe some insecurity about where they are in life and this and you give them a movie also these also movie executives probably own motorcycles or at least oh. interested in motorcycles and cars so you like put a script in front of them that's yeah. like hey a bunch of old guys going on a motorcycle adventure and proving that they actually aren't that old after <laughs> all it's like of, of course gr- greenlit Truman. 170 million dollar budget I'm going to just do a patented land in Solano foreshadow right now and say at some point in this conversation, I am going to drop an existential question on you uh, that I think is going to rock the foundations of our, our conversation. I, I, I love it when we rock the foundations of our conversations. You know, our, <laughs> our conversations are altogether too structurally sound from time to time. They need to be rocked. Um <laughs> As, as long as we're also just talking about about the the actors, this jumped yep. out to me on the Wikipedia page from the production section, where where okay. one of the producers said that he believed that casting was essential to the success of the film. He emphasized the importance of working with movie stars. The producer praised Disney for trusting in four older, experienced, but more expensive actors and said, quote, A lot of studios today are afraid to take those chances of hiring. Disney wasn't afraid, and it paid off. So let's all applaud Disney for taking the risky choice of putting four bankable, well-known actors in their movie. Such a bold, risky gambit that paid off, putting four household names in this comedy movie. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> Man, the way you can spin anything, I swear to God. I, I love it. I, I really do. Um, yeah, no, but I mean, this seems like, yeah, this comes across your desk as a producer. It comes across your desk as an actor. It's the kind of yeah. movie that's easy to say yes to. And and probably, yeah. yeah, they, you know, I was surprised. In in early scenes, I was thinking like, oh, hmm, interesting. They're wearing bandanas across their faces, almost as though they want to make it hard <laughs> to tell when a stuntman is riding. But there are some of yeah. these scenes where very clearly the dudes are riding motorcycles. And mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm Tim Allen, that's probably the highlight of my entire life is getting paid to ride a motorcycle on a film set. <laughs> um, I, okay, I think we we the last bit of context we need uh, before we go into the deep dive here is how we felt about this movie. So so we kind of set the tone for where you and I are both coming at sure. at this. Sure. I'm going to I'm going to give you opening salvo. Look, I'm going to say that that again, doing this podcast has broken my brain. We've watched a lot of movies <laughs> that are not great. Uh, Wild Hogs is is a bad movie, uh but but it's a lot more competently put together than both Zoom and California Dreamin'. Uh, not even in the same league. Not even in the same league, and in a, in a good way. 
And I think also, and this is something that we can get into more as we go, I find this is probably one of Tim Allen's least abrasive performances that we have watched so far for the podcast. So it went down fairly smooth. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's a, so yes, not a, not a good movie, but one that was not actively uh, painful and cringe inducing to watch. Um, oh, what, what about what about you? I am I have been struggling with a way to articulate, and I I don't think I've landed on it. Uh oh. What do you do with a film like Wild Hogs? It <laughs> okay, is here we go. It is homophobic. Yeah. Oh it yeah. It is. Oh boy. Misogynistic. But it, oh. it is often really funny. I want. I, I want to. Yeah. I want to. I, I realize I just gave a semi kind of glowing assessment to this movie without calling out the fact that yes, it is wildly problematic in several ways. I, yeah. I don't want. I want to make. Sh- yeah. My my assessment is in spite well, of that. Go on. I, and I have a comment about the homophobia, which we'll get to in specific instances. Yes. Uh, but I, I am. I'm shocked. You you mentioned Tim Allen, and I'll I'll call it out here too. This is easily, and I'm including Home Improvement, the best Tim Allen I've ever seen. Now, ho- hold on, though. But, I mean, that that's, that is Galaxy Quest Erasure, uh, I think. In fact, <laughs> well, I know. Well, okay, for the podcast. We okay, haven't done podcast, Galaxy yes. Quest for yeah, yeah, the podcast. For, yeah, yeah. This is, he's playing kind of against type. He's, yes. you know, allowing himself to be not the alpha male. Yeah. Uh, he's not... He he's kind of he plays things on the safe side some of the time. You know he's not always when, when he has barbs with the guys. You know it's when the guys are trading barbs. Yes, it's never like putting someone in their place. He's not crankly. He's not a curmudgeon. I mean, there's questions I, I, uh, that I don't think it's just his character that holds. It's the movie itself holds about the views they have on family life and, and you know, how and that women. holds a man down. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. He, I, he seems to be of the characters. He seems to be the one that's like, well, what's wrong with family? Life? He, he's the, like Wallace Shawn of the, uh, my dinner with Andre here where he's like, well, what's wrong with being a dentist? You know, by the end of this thing, he's like, uh, you know, I, what's wrong with my life? I, you know, I, you're the ones that are losers, uh, you know, kind of embracing the thing that I was hoping they would by the end of this. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I I agree with you. I think, though, that I, I think the main thing that works in Tim Allen's favor here, well, it's twofold. One is that his character is just generally underwritten. And so, yeah. so that doesn't, that means that a lot of the lines that he has are kind of just expositional, uh, like it, like a lot of the a lot of the plot driving stuff, like like the the asshole character in this movie who is sniping at the others and is actively sabotaging things and making things worse through bravado is John Travolta. So all yes. of all of the really assy Tim stuff that's happening is being done by someone else, and and Tim is kind Which, of just there to react to it. And I, I would say this is an example of. <laughs> 
John Travolta being the more experienced actor because he's able to do that stuff that Tim usually does, yes. but justify it through characterization rather than just this is my movie star persona. <laughs> yes, yes. And admittedly, the characterization for why he's doing some of these things is questionable, and we'll get into it. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, well, and, and but, I, but at no point are, are we supposed to take like we're supposed to be on this guy's side, you know, yes. like we we've bought into a Tim Allen movie and therefore we, you know, everyone's annoyance to him is an annoyance to us the yes. way that so many of the, the movies we've covered so far have been. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I think also part, you know, what, what works in favor of Tim not being a huge ass here is that this movie had enough star power and producer juice behind the scenes that Tim Allen yeah. couldn't like get his hands on the script and try and punch <laughs> it up with stuff for his character. Well, he couldn't ad lib a whole lot, or at least if he was ad libbing, he then couldn't lean on, you know, post-production to put that stuff in because Disney's people were calling the shots. Um, well, and also it's, it's, he's there, there are four leads here yes. where in other movies, it's like, okay, I'm Tim Allen. I have to be the alpha dog in this scene. So my improv is going to be, you know, trying to get, you know, power leverage over other people by putting them in their place. Here, the improv, I feel like, comes from camaraderie. Yes. Which is very different. And I want to lead that into talking about the other three guys. I think they all are pretty fantastic here. William H. Macy yeah. is at the top of his comedic game. He The funniest lines, all the funniest bits in the movie come from William H. Macy. He underplays down. them. I mean, yes. he's just a consummate professional. He's so good. Uh, I even enjoy some of John Travolta's hamminess because uh, he goes really over the top. Like, he's not afraid to play it big. Yes. And <laughs> usually that turns me off, but it, in this... It works for some reason. When he there's a, a scene w between him and Ray Liotta where he's just staring him down, and that was all improvised. Oh yeah, that uh, was really really funny to me. I, like there's a whole lot of of the kind of second act of this movie is is John Travolta trying to keep a secret from the guys, and it's eating him up and driving him insane, and he is like freaking out, overcompensating, and, and being very manic, and like kind of bursting into tears when he's on his own, which is. <laughs> As someone whose who's primary, whose, like, first cultural experiences with John Travolta were movies like Get Shorty and Pulp Fiction, where he's the coolest, chillest dude, <laughs> See, yeah. seeing him uh, fishing from the River of Ham like this is very, <laughs> very enjoyable. <laughs> I liked that a lot. Oh. Um, okay, uh, that that's where I'm coming at it. I, I, oh, which is to say, which is to say, uh, the, the one last kind of lens I want to put on this as to how I approach this movie was I'd seen this movie before, and how do I say this? Um, <laughs> I, I didn't realize it until I watched it again. I think this is the reason I agreed to do the podcast. What? <laughs> Without realizing it. Is this the thing that's going to shake the foundation of our conversation to its no. core? Be okay, well, no. it's happened. It's shaking right now. <laughs> it's a magnitude like 8.0. Jesus, you... This is what made I, you do it? I think I watched this movie maybe in 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not when it first came out. And <laughs> when I put it on, I probably put it on thinking, oh, 
I haven't had a Tim Allen fix in a while, still having the kind of rosy glasses of mm. home improvement. Yes. And I don't think I'd watched a Tim Allen movie or home improvement between watching this movie and you asking me if you want to do a home improvement podcast. Oh, so man. <laughs> the last taste of Tim Allen I had was this movie. A, a relatively inoffensive taste of Tim Allen. I mean, yeah, it may exactly. not. Yeah, it may not have a whole lot of flavor to it, but it's also not a bad flavor. So, when I reapproach this movie, I, I, I kind of approach it from a, a very different perspective than I usually do, which was much more of an anthropological lens. <laughs> yeah, because at this point, going through Home Improvement, going through some of the movies, living through. The life that we live in 2023. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I've uh, had enough of boomers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a true thing. Sorry to and all I our knew boomer going, podcast listeners. I, I knew going into this that I would be just going against the grain the entire time. I mean, we did it with Zoom, and I didn't want to repeat that. And so I thought, I'm going to go into this kind of looking at what what is it that boomers are afraid of specifically mm. boomer males yeah like what what is what is the conflict in their life and and how does it you know manifest itself in, in narrative form and so i was watching this more from a scientific point of view i think than i have other movies and uh it, it completely changed my experience well and and look i think that part of what makes this movie i think maybe less frustrating for us than even uh, half or more of home improvement episodes is that you know like I think a lot of what aggravates us about Tim uh, specifically even in movies like Crazy on the Outside or in Zoom is it's like why are you trying to play like a cool young guy you're clearly middle aged lean into that <laughs> and and so much of like there seems to be so much insecurity like so much of the reason that he is so prickly and standoffish we see through it on the show is like you're insecure about your masculinity. Jesus Christ, just give it a rest. The, this movie, for all its faults, leans into him and all of these characters as middle-aged men who are insecure about being middle-aged and who act ridiculously because of that insecurity. And yes, somehow, and again, it falls on its face in a lot of regards, but at least it's not trying to paper over that and, and tell you, no, this is really a cool guy. Oh, don't you actually think he looks young with his Ed Hardy t-shirt and his muscles? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's so much more palatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, unless you're a woman or a gay person, in which case you will have a lot of problems with this movie. But well, fortunately, we are neither. I I don't know about the uh, that we're going to get deep into the, the women stuff, except to say women don't play a role in this movie, except as the nagging wife who. Hey, well, hey, no, they're trophies. They are also trophies. Trophies. Yes. yes. When you when when you do enough violence, you get a kiss from a lady. That's that's what <laughs> this movie sets up. Thank you very much. Yeah, women just are are in this movie are one hundred percent here to serve the men, and to a degree that's like it's like seventy percent of movies. So seventy percent of movies, and in two thousand seven, when you're centering around a male midlife crisis. Uh, for midlife crises, uh, you know, how are you going to write, you know, independent, autonomous women that aren't there to just serve? So, like, Martin Lawrence's wife is, he's running away from her. She's a scary, you know, henpeck sort of 
nag. Yeah, well, uh, he, he's henpecked. She's aggressive and yells at him all the time. Henpe- yeah. yeah, the yes. angry black woman. The Tim Allen's wife is the like. I'm concerned for your your health. You know, looking out for you. You wouldn't be able to live without me. Uh, you need to take. You know, convinces him to take this road trip. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of wife. Uh, and then the non-existent wife of John Travolta, who is a supermodel, uh, yeah. divorcing him. Yeah. And the and the extra non-existent wife of William H Macy, who is single. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I. I I mean, he gets Marissa Tomei, and as you said, is, like, entirely there as a trophy to win uh, by saving the town. Yeah. He's kind of got her on the hook even before he saves the town. He basically shows up in town, and Marissa Tomei is like, wait, a dorky white guy with poor social skills? Where? Oh, my God. I've never met one (laughs) of these before. That's going to be an interesting thing to discuss when we get there, but um, why don't don't we get into the deep dive now? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's throttle up and and put on our helmets or some shit like that. I, I don't really know. Take us through um, act one here. Yeah, yeah. All right, so the first act of the movie, we start out with uh, just, uh, the, like, the first thing you see in the movie is these four guys riding their motorcycles around their neighborhood. It's It, it starts out with John Travolta, then Tim Allen, then Martin Lawrence, and last of all, William H. Macy. They do some fist bumps. William H. Macy, you know, flies, well, he almost falls off his motorcycle, and then he gets clotheslined by a, by a real estate sign. What... And and from from there we get some bits clips of them in their day to day lives. We see you know Martin Lawrence has been he's taken a year off work trying to write a self help book, but that hasn't worked. And his wife, who's the breadwinner, tells him you've got to go back to work plumbing. And you know his kids don't respect him. Uh, John Travolta going through the nasty divorce. Tim Allen uh, has a terrible time eating. You know he has to eat health food at home because his family's worried about his cholesterol, and then he goes to work as an orthodontist i do want to i do want to circle this dentist but go ahead dentist orthodontist uh, he he keeps calling himself a doctor uh and and then to his great chagrin has to admit well actually i'm a dentist um he i i really am i was so impressed i never would have guessed that in a movie about where tim allen plays a guy who rides a motorcycle around that his career would not be something automotive related that's (laughs) i it, it was like it was the that that was so refreshing to me. Like, oh my god, he has to like, he has to sit in a in a in a dentist's chair. Well, he has to sit next to a dentist's chair and do like stuff on a person's teeth. It's not just him working with like lug nuts and big block Hemi engines. I, I, I just I I I I, I never thought I would see the day where he's not playing a mechanic. <laughs> Well, I think it's the inverse of of Zoom, where he's like, "What? This whole movie? I don't get I, what I get a, a UFO to ride around, and I'm not even the one driving it. Fuck that! Mm-hmm. At least have me start in an auto shop. Yeah, this one I think you can do the opposite of that. It's like I'm going to spend the entire movie on a hog. Well, then I don't care what I start out as. I'm, but but to be honest, even for a movie where he spends the whole movie on a hog. He's not really, like, he never is tinkering with the hog. He's never talking about the engine specs of the hog. Like, he does say, I think we should check our tires because we're going to go into higher elevation. Mm, yeah, he does He does say that, <laughs> He does, which is kind of the dorkiest piece of automotive <laughs> maintenance you can do when you think about it. Um but you know, so we get yeah, we get the just the hijinks of all of them in their in their stressful day to day lives, and then uh, well, also yeah. we we see William H Macy. He's at he's at a coffee shop with his laptop, and this is how in two thousand six you show that someone 
is a Dorcas Malorcas. He he there's a sexy lady nearby and he decides he wants to impress her. So he opens up his laptop and he says, open Internet, please. And the computer is like opening Internet browser. And I mean, did this uh, <laughs> did this uh, uh, give Apple the idea for Siri? You know, yeah, I think I, I think. One thing that I, I do know about Steve Jobs is he was a huge Wild Hogs fan. That kind of guided him throughout the latter days of his career, really. Who do you think William H. Macy is based on? I, I mean, I, that, well, he's not wearing turtlenecks, though. That's the that's the aspect of it. That would be too obvious. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. Uh, but but he's he's he says this and the woman is like looking at him like like intrigued and amused like, oh, my God, he's he's using voice commands on his computer in a public place like. Would, it just the the sort of thing that like today, if you did that nowadays, it would be legal to murder you. Like everyone in the in in the coffee shop would kill you, and the cops would show up and be like, "Oh yeah, this is justifiable. He, you, no one should do this." Um, I mean, the fact that he has the sound on on his computer oh. in public is is enough to. <laughs> Yeah. Looking at him, you can just tell the second he gets a smartphone, he is going to turn on ketones and just bump that that volume as high as he can. So everybody knows when he's texting. Um, But he he says something like the computer misunderstands one of his commands and he says, oh, I should uh, I should download some alternative specs. And then the computer's like Googling alternative sex and then immediately granny porn and bestiality stuff starts popping up and and he everyone is reacting to it and he basically uh, like he can, then he somehow can't figure out how to stop the laptop from showing this even though he is a computer programmer and so he Just winds up shut it yeah, yeah exactly it's a laptop but he like pulls the he pulls the keyboard off and then dumps his latte on it and it's just a it's a whole thing um but they 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 go from these day to day lives where you know Tim Allen's kid thinks that he's lame and doesn't want to hang out with him, and John Travolta's flat broke and getting divorced, and they all they all go and they they ride their motorcycles around together, and that's how they blow off steam. Yeah, and John Travolta is the the impetus, uh, being the one who's broke, uh, losing his home, who's like, fuck it, I got nothing to lose. I want to let's just hit the open road, and he he gives the idea to the guys. Yeah. As they go out for drinks um, at their their normal bar spot once a week. Uh, why don't why don't we go on this road trip? Why yes. not? You know, yes. we're not getting any younger. Exactly. And w- what I do like about this and, and respect about this movie is that I think a lot of movies would try to, like, show the origin story. Like, how did these guys meet or like what? How did they all get? into motorcycles it would start with them all hey let's buy motorcycles and then go on this cross-country trip <laughs> i respect that this movie is just like from minute one it's like hey you guys saw the trailers you bought a ticket to see a movie where tim allen and john travolta ride motorcycles we're gonna give it to you first first second of the film like yeah. they are just yeah they are wild hogs if well, you if you and, and, if you get diarrhea and have to leave the theater two minutes in <laughs> you will have seen the thing that you were promised <laughs> the and that brings me to to my first kind of point about this movie, which is first point fifty one minutes in. Nice uh, that it knows what it is. Yeah, and that is part of as you described it, why it goes down so easy. Mm-hmm. Like if this was a movie about four middle aged guys, and it was trying to sell us on the fact that they were actually cool. Yeah, it would not work. Mm-hmm. But they. They're playing the not coolness for the comedy, and that works for me. Yeah, 
Yeah. To more or less degree. Yeah. I mean, you know, a- aspects of the not coolness like, oh man, Martin Lawrence isn't cool because his wife yells at him all the time. Oh, can you believe that? Like, he's not Well, and that, that's where like, the misogyny yeah, comes in because sure. then once he gets with the guys it's like you're just gonna let your wife boss you around your entire life she's the one that's gonna call the cop you know call the shots she's yeah. gonna be the breadwinner forever like yeah. that shit is gross and sucks yes it does um i'm sorry i'm sorry i thought i had a bigger point to go off of than i didn't i was like hey ha may as well give myself an audio bridge um so yeah, they're, they're you know John Travolta comes up with this idea of like, hey, we're we're lame, you know, we call ourselves the Wild Hogs, but really not that wild. Uh, like we should take a cross country road trip, and mm-hmm. the guys are at first reluctant to do this, but then they hear from one of their friends that a guy their age who frequented the bar uh, just died of a heart attack, and it kind of makes them go reflective, and. Back at home, then, Tim is eating dinner with his family where they're all having meatloaf and and mashed potatoes, and he's got just, like, a salad because of his he's got to watch his cholesterol at his wife's insistence. And I guess he, like, uh, you know, he brings up the concept of the cross-country road trip, and his wife is kind of, like, laughing at the idea of four old guys taking a cross-country motorcycle trip. And, okay, well, first off, uh, the, the the notion that four four middle aged men going on a motorcycle trip is like is some sort of weird or un- unbelievable concept. <laughs> I know, I, I know. I, I, the, the, no, the only people I'm going to keep stressing this. The only people who are riding Harley Davidsons are middle aged, relatively wealthy men. <laughs> like this is not whatever whatever easy rider and fantasy. legit bikers and legit. Like, but how many legit, like, how many, like, actual scary bikers are there left in this country? Like, really? Well, I don't know. I, I tend to see a lot of them, actually. Well, okay, but also, Harley-Davidson is headquartered in Wisconsin, so you're at the source. <laughs> okay, all right, fair, fair. I, and I take a lot of road trips, so I do see a fair no, uh, I, amount of people. But. I have never seen any Hells Angels on the L.A. subway, so they don't exist, Landon. <laughs> it's just not a thing. They, they are not riding the bus with me. They're not on the B line. They're not on the E line. Um, so, oh my god! But so, I, I want to talk about the humor in this first act sure. because it's it, it, it's weird. I think it's it, it's not this first act isn't necessarily funny. There no. are moments, but there there's no big laughs right out the gate. You know, I think what I find impressive is that from that first scene where William H Macy fist bumps and then loses his uh, uh, balance on the bike and then you think he's going to fall and he doesn't and then he hits a sign it sets up a two things one they go hard on the physical comedy yes and some of it is great some of it is CG yeah <laughs> I, uh, I'm but surprised I, I, they could have easily gone very lazy with the, the physical comedy here and they don't and it's much better because they don't. I, I, yeah, like I was, I was surprised by how how hard some of these, I mean, literally hard some of these hits land. Like yes. William H Macy getting clotheslined off the bike. A comes out of nowhere. You like it is yes. a jump scare in the first two minutes of the movie, and it's like well, they actually knocked a stunt guy off a bike, and you feel yeah. it. It hurts. <laughs> that to was watch. that was gonna be my other point. Is not only do they go hard on the physical comedy, but they set up. Um, the unexpected joke very well here. Yes. Uh, with, with that sign. And they pay, they not only does it come as a, a payoff at the end of the movie, but um, they, they 
have a few of these unexpected jokes throughout that I think are executed pretty well, actually. Yeah, it, it's it's the unexpected jokes. There are some setups and situations that are funny on their face, but then get kind of like played out too much. Yeah, and then yeah. there is an un, and then there's just kind of a steady stream of really funny uh underplayed lines from William H Macy like there's something where they're talking about riding in in you know an upcoming parade and William H Macy just going like I got tootsie rolls I can throw to the kids <laughs> he's excited for it. There, yeah. there's a, a sincerity to William H Macy that is really funny in this movie yes and I want to point out one one thing that makes some of the homophobia bizarre to me mm-hmm. so like there's another bit of physical comedy where William H. Macy, they're in a parking lot. They're coming to a, a stop and William H. Macy can't exactly. And then he like the physical comedy is pretty impressive where it starts to get a, the bike gets away from him. Oh God. And like he's holding onto the bars, but his legs are off of it. Oh, and it, it kind of wobbles into a street lamp and oh. he falls off and then gets up. He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, But then he has to ride with John Travolta to the bar. Yeah. And William H. Macy is like, sincerely enamored with the cologne that that John Travolta's wearing. Yeah. And that is funny. John Travolta's, like, you know, kind of don't-be-gay attitude towards it is not. But then William H. Macy's sincerity comes back, and he's like, but that's just a really alluring scent. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it funny again. And it, it's a, a weird kind of complexity that's going on there. Uh, yeah, the, the William H. Macy's character, like, they are pretty consistently mean to William H. Macy throughout the movie, which raises the question, like, why do they hang out with this guy if they hate him so much? But, like, he <laughs> the, he never responds to any of the barbs, and his reaction yeah. to everything is kind of just to be even more earnest and lean even yeah. more into his innocence. <laughs> I mean, it makes him... I, I, I don't know. I can't I can't tell if I like his character the most because he has some of the funniest lines and I like his performance the most or if he's my favorite character because Fargo Boogie Nights Mystery Man. <laughs> I, I don't know. I yes. mean it's it's hard it's hard to say. So anyway, you know, Tim Allen has turned down this notion of the road trip, but then his wife is laughing at the idea of four guys going on a motorcycle trip and it makes Tim so mad that he has this kind of breakdown at the dinner table where he 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 does like three seasons of Tim Taylor <laughs> in in like 30 seconds. Like a, the concentrated, it's like the whole id of home improvement in like 30 seconds of him like grabbing a piece of meatloaf with his bare hands and saying like, meat is good for man. I'm tired of not eating meat. I like potatoes and gravy. And he's like drinking straight from the gravy boat. And he eats, he picks up a stick of butter and is just eating the butter just just straight and just ranting and screaming about manhood and masculinity but, and freedom. Unlike Home Improvement, we're not supposed to be taking this seriously. No, it, it helps that there's it's, no... It's not the the man's dinner where no. it's like, men eat meat and, you know, the thicker the cut, the better. You know, he's he's railing against like... And I, I kind of felt similarly. It was like, all he has is this little tiny salad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I would fucking be hungry too. It, and it, it, it plays it for the absurdity. 
it, it plays it, it and you know it's played for absurdity it's clearly a small man in a hell of his own making well a hell of yes. in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife my god how did he get here uh, but he's <laughs> he moved the bot- water from the bottom of the ocean. Oh, of, of course, of course. Well, <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing that there's no jokes in this movie about having prostate issues making it difficult to move the water from the bottom of the ocean. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, but and, and also that he's ranting and saying all this, and it's you're not getting there's not live studio audience egging him on. It's just playing to the kind of horrified, stunned reactions of his wife yeah. and son watching him and just not <laughs> reacting. Um. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so he winds up in the hospital having had a panic attack, and there his his wife kind of suggests to him, hey, maybe maybe taking this road trip would be good for you. There, there's this exchange between them. One, it's like, I am a middle-aged man, aren't I? And she says, only mathematically. And it's like, no, Doug, you're, you're a middle-aged man in every sense of the word. Don't, <laughs> don't even, don't even front. But, yeah. but then also... He says, like, well, but this, this, you know, this road trip, it's just like taking a trip to nowhere. And his wife goes, maybe that's exactly what you need. And it, which is, it's just kind of the most, like, line in a movie thing. It's like, wow. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the, that's the, like, the depth of women character that you get in this film. Like, it, from there, forget it. There's not even going to be a woman in this film for the next, you know. 45 minutes i mean look it is it is cool when women encourage men to go get the thing that they want in life i mean that's one of my favorite things that women do is when they kind of sublimate their own needs in order to encourage my hijinks um <laughs> well we don't even know what she does in this movie I, ex- like, what, what she makes salads and she presumably looks after their son oh, okay. and at one point drives from ohio to new mexico for some reason <laughs> um spoiler alert i want to talk a little bit about john travolta uh his humor as well because you know we the will there's we talked about the william h macy of it he's he's the klutz he's you know the the sincere guy um john travolta is high strung from the get-go and yes. you know he plays varying degrees of high strungness but once we see him go through talking to his lawyer, finding out that he's getting divorced, oh, yeah. that he's broke, uh, he's on the phone at one point walking through his mansion complaining to someone about a bill that's going to get paid. And he walks out and he starts – we find out that he's talking to this, like, 11-year-old, 12-year-old uh, from the neighborhood who has advertised that he would rake any lawn for 10 bucks. Yeah. And, of course, he has a massive lawn. And it really, like – he goes really hard on the joke of, of playing it straight like he's yelling at someone he's going to litigate. Yeah, and it I, puts me in mind of that that famous image of, of Trump yelling at the kid <laughs> mowing the lawn. <laughs> that, that, look, that whole bit with the reveal of he's been yelling at a kid and then him and this kid just screaming at each other on the lawn, that that was one of the earliest big laughs in the movie for me. There, There's... yeah. There is something really funny about a grown man yelling at a child when it's not like the way that Tim Allen yells at kids in a lot of his movies, but like right. when it when it's clearly that when it's clearly the man is the more immature one in the in the back and forth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um and yeah, should we talk a little bit about Martin Lawrence's situation? I mean, I feel like he's given the least depth, you know. His his I feel like each of these characters are kind of giving us different tastes of the type of comedy we'll get throughout the rest of it. Yes. And while Martin Lawrence's character 
through the remainder of the film doesn't necessarily fall into the the shit joke category. His character kind of sets up that hey, we're gonna be we're not gonna be shying away from shit jokes. Yeah, I mean, honestly, based on based on how it starts, I'm surprised we don't have more shit jokes because. You know, he's he's at home at first where his wife is yelling at him, his wife, the breadwinner, how, you know, you took a year off off from work. We agreed that you were going to take a year off to try and write your self-help book, but then you'd go back. It's been a year. I just I just heard from the firm and they want you to come back. You need to go to work at the firm again. And she's making him go back to the firm. And then we cut to Martin Lawrence wearing a like walking into a gas station wearing a plumber's company jumpsuit. And it's the firm plumbing and waste management. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he has to go unclog this toilet. And there's this long run of jokes where the where the uh, you know Middle Eastern or Indian guy behind the counter is is saying to him like, yeah, Mexican, Mexican. okay, some sort of ethnicity <laughs> that they are not being super kind to. But the guy is saying like, oh yeah, I got uh, you know I got robbed at gunpoint last week, and seeing that in the bathroom is the worst thing that's ever happened on my job, and, like, I didn't truly know fear until I walked in there and saw what's going on in that toilet, and just... I, I, I'm i not a fan of what they're talking about, but this is, f- you know, an attempt at a kind of comedy I like, which is just see how long you can take the joke. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're they're just, they're trying to one-up and yes-and this this bit again and again and again. Because every time, like, he's like, okay, got it, and he starts to walk away, it just, he keeps, like, leaning in into how bad the situation is. Mm -hmm. And it's not funny, necessarily, but I do like the, I do like that sort of humor every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and listen, I, I, and props to this movie for not having us, for not following him into the bathroom and then showing us what the the situation actually is. Yes, yes, yes. That would be a bridge too far. Um, which he has done in Van Wilder, which was really gross and something I can never forget when that guy eats that donut. Great. Um, the the kind of end of this first act when they and this is talking about the humor as well that I I really got me the the last joke of the first act is they all decide to go on this road trip and in order to to really be free to go off the grid they got to get rid of their phones yeah. and. Uh, they start throwing and smashing their phones. I don't know why they wouldn't just leave them home, but whatever. It doesn't make sense. Um, phones were cheap uh, no, back then. No data plans. Tim Allen, or uh, John Travolta throws Tim Allen's phone against a wall and it smashes. Tim Allen gets you know upset and grabs John Travolta's phone and, thrown and throws it in the sewer. Uh, yeah, for Pennywise to, to make some calls. <laughs> uh, and then William H. Macy goes to throw his phone and just chucks it in the air. And instead of it smashing in, in this kind of unexpected way, it s- smashes into a garbage truck's windshield and shatters the windshield. And the truck comes to a stop and they're all like, oh, shit, we got to run. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which kind of underplays the masculinity of the moment. And uh, I don't know, that kind of made me feel like I was somewhat in safe hands with mm-hmm. this movie. Like, I, I wasn't 100% trusting, but I'm like, this isn't going exactly where I thought it was. Uh, you know, again, yeah, the movie the movie will do things like that. It is mostly a very over-the-plate, like, n- not, not really deviating too much from formula movie, but it has these occasional zigs and zags and surprise laughs, which, again, uh, come from somebody who was intimately involved in writing a bunch of great Arrested Development episodes. <laughs> I mean, you can see these these glimmers of of Gene Parmesan's dad. 
Um, I I also want to just point out as right before they chuck their phones and get going, William H. Macy shows them that, you know, Oh, I got a tattoo. I got some ink for the trip. And he pulls up his sleeve and he's got a tattoo of the Apple logo, but like the, 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 the rainbow, like multicolored Apple logo from Mm -hmm. like the eighties. And everyone's laughing at him because of how dorky it is. Like what a nerd thing. I I just want to say I mean, I don't have any tattoos. I'm not going to get any tattoos. I'm not an expert on them. But I have, I, in my line of work, I have worked with a lot of graphic designers who are, like, cool dudes and have a lot of tattoos. And I feel like I've seen at least three graphic designers with, uh, with a, like, retro Apple logo, t- logo tattoo. Like, this, the coolness of this tattoo has really increased since the movie came out. And I think... <laughs> Again, it's a. Not only do we have our tie to you know a, a slight tip of the hand that this is based on Steve Jobs, <laughs> Steve Jobs, but also uh, that it's it's looking forward. It's a trendsetter. I, I mean, it's just it's funny that like the, the in the first act of the movie, there's two different things William H Macy does. Like him talking to his voice activated computer is coded as a really cool and suave thing to do that nowadays is the worst thing you can possibly do in public. And then the dorky thing he did of getting a retro Apple computer tattoo is now <laughs> kind of cool. So it, it it's just interesting to see a thing from a movie like this that actually aged better. Like it didn't just age well, it aged it like, like wine. It kind of improved over time. <laughs> Oh God! Should we get into Act Two? They decide to go on the road trip. Yes, and they are they are on the road, and it is just th- this this uh, kicks us into one of the key motifs of the film, which is footage of people riding motorcycles through like like second unit B roll footage of the guys at a distance on motorcycles while a classic rock song plays. Yes, and I have. Uh, well, okay, I'll say it now. I mean, I, I would... It's part of what I like about road trip movies. I That's why I love the open road. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i kind of into that. Like, it wouldn't be a road trip movie without that. Sure, of course. Now, there are, you know, good ways to do it. There are cliche ways to do it. There are bad ways to do it. Um, I think the bad way to do it is Project Elf. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, uh, no I rapping think, in this, yeah. No, no. Uh, you know, I think um, Dumb and Dumber, good way to do it. Yeah. Uh, I think this is the cliche way to do it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. You you hinted at this last week. Amazing that Born to be Wild is like the only classic rock song that doesn't show up in this. <laughs> no Steppenwolf at all. None. Which is insane. No, no magic carpet ride. The the amount of money that they spent. I mean, they've got they've got good vibrations in this movie. Oh yeah. They've got uh they've got Gimme Some Lovin' in this movie. They got Showdown by Electric Light Orchestra in here. <laughs> uh, they have a very brief clip of of I want to kiss you all over so they've got like deep cuts but oh, yeah. yeah I I but not not the logical road trip with the boys movie <laughs> song okay so they're out on the road we're we're getting these these montage segments of them riding their bikes to classic rock songs and there's some fun and games along the way where they uh well, they they ride past a bunch of beautiful young women in a jeep and the women are all like hooting at them and cheering for them which I, again, uh, this is I'm going to keep coming back to it. It's just the notion that seeing four older men on motorcycles <laughs> is something unique or interesting that you would like, oh, my God, could you believe that? Woo! Woo! Keep doing it. Like, that's not if they were if it was four dudes on unicycles or if it was four guys all riding one <laughs> movie motorcycle. Now, look, I would 
either of those a tandem motorcycle. <laughs> now, now that hog is truly wild. That is an unexpected hog. <laughs> also, the the one thing that these kind of like shots of them riding around conveys mm. for me, like because it's just the, these four dudes, each each on their motorcycle, wearing their helmet and their and their shades and everything. It's like I'm kind of realizing on a psychological level, the the allure of the motorcycle is that it allows a, a group of men to be together for long periods of time without having to talk to each other or mm-hmm. achieve any sort of emotional intimacy like that. Just mm-hmm. zero risk that you will open up to somebody else. And that's probably what makes it so appealing. You know, there. Yes, I, I think you're you're hitting on something more real than you realize. Uh <laughs> I'm not trying to dox anyone and I'm not going to name names, but certainly there was um, a a friend of mine and their father who would take uh, road trips on motorcycles together. Mm -hmm. And he was notoriously someone who couldn't open up, but it was a way to spend time, you know, kind of like my dad and I playing golf. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Most of the time you're spent on opposite sides of, you know, uh, a hole but you're doing something together, kinda. Yeah, yeah. J- just enough togetherness that you're not forced to be alone with your thoughts, but not right. so much togetherness that you have to actually forge a connection. Yeah. When, okay, so here, here's what I want to do with Act 2, because Act 2 has a lot of fun and games. Just take us to the halfway point here. Sure. And then let's let's dive in on some of these scenes. Okay. Well, yeah, so they're they're, you know, they go riding around for a long time. They have some they have some hijinks which I assume that we'll get into some more, but they eventually yeah. uh they eventually wind up running into a very big gang of actual scary Hells Angels type bikers known as the Delfuegos who are led by the uh evil and conniving uh Ray Liotta and uh <laughs> Wait, I, I think at this point, I, I, I want to go into one of my favorite all-time IMDb trivias. Okay, do, do it, do it. Give me the, give me the, <laughs> yeah, give me this trivia. Just because you're you're right on it, we're introducing the Del Fuegos. Uh, I am just enamored with this bit of IMDb trivia. Uh, okay, here here it is verbatim, the IMDb trivia for the Del Fuegos. Yeah. <clears throat> the biker game name Del Fuegos is inaccurate. Del is singular in Spanish and comes from de el, parentheses, of the, slash from the, and fuegos ends with an S, meaning it's plural. A correct name would be del fuego, singular, or de los fuegos, plural, which means from the fire or from the fires, respectively. For some reason, Hollywood rarely checks these things before using them when pretending to be foreign characters, countries, food, parentheses, Example, the oh word tamale does not exist. Oh, it's geez. either tamal or singular or tamales, plural, etc., etc. And also, for some wrong reason, Hollywood also uses the word <laughs> del in Latin last names. Latin names are <laughs> rarely have the word del in them. Most, na- most last names don't have del or d. So using del would be like saying John of the Smith, <laughs> which just sounds weird and is completely inaccurate. <laughs> I, I I love I love this about about IMDb trivia that like most of the people the majority of the people writing it are absolutely insane and it's just like their manifesto <laughs> like it's like it's like if yes. the, if the Unabomber was really fixated on correcting mistakes in movies yes <laughs> uh, I the, the level of rant that that <laughs> got into I just I 
I loved it. Now, uh, now, I had to share. Uh, now, counterpoint to this this guy who has, and I'm sure. I mean, it could be it could be a woman too, but that again, this is it's a guy. It is a single man. Um, <laughs> counterpoint to him. Yes, the name Del Fuegos might be grammatically incorrect in Spanish, but the membership of the Del Fuegos and indeed the founding member of the Del Fuegos are all white guys. So it's pretty reasonable to assume that they just thought Del Fuegos sounds cool and didn't know the Spanish language etymology. In fact, it's Hollywood getting their characterization right. Yes, yeah. You know, I hate how so many movies don't get the characterization right. I actually don't remember his rant enough to really do it justice <laughs> by doing a parody of it. And and nor do I want to do a parody of it because this guy is probably going to, you know, Travis Bickle me or something like that. Um, so they, they go to this biker bar in the middle of nowhere, which it turns out is the headquarters of the Del Fuegos. Ray Liotta is incensed that these... Uh, these fake-ass, poser-ass bikers have shown up. He deceives William H. Macy into doing a, you know, agreeing to a trade of William H. Macy's motorcycle for some junked-up old motorcycle outside. And he, you know, calls out the Wild Hogs for all being failures and, you know, you're not real bikers and you're, you know, he very correctly identifies what is wrong in each of their lives and calls them out to their face, banishes them up the road, um... And then, I mean, shall I, shall I, you know, I don't know if this takes us past the midpoint, but. The, the midpoint is, well, yeah, they, I think when they get to Madrid. Okay. Well, or so, Madrid, I'm sorry, I got to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> he he banishes them and tells them, get, get the hell out of here, we're going to keep this motorcycle. You know, they give him a sidecar, which is honestly pretty, pretty considerate of this evil biker gang to, like, give the wild hogs a sidecar and attach it to John Travolta's motorcycle so that they can get William H. Macy away with them. I mean, that's just nice, but they get a little ways up the road. Travolta stops. He's so mad that they've been bested by these guys. He goes back, he sneaks back alone, uh, and, uh, first disables all their bikes by cutting the fuel lines and then jumps back on William H. Macy's bike, which the bikers have left the keys in inexplicably and, uh, you know, takes the bike back. The bikers, in trying to give chase, uh, they uh, their fuel lines rupture. They drop a cigarette in the gasoline without realizing it. They wind up blowing up their entire bar. Uh, the rest of the Wild Hogs don't know that any of this subterfuge has happened. John Travolta tells them, oh, I got the bike back by going there and threatening to sue everybody. And they ride on and eventually wind up running out of gas and barely making it into a small town in the middle of nowhere called Madrid. Madrid, New Mexico. Madrid. Madrid. You Madrid, Madrid, bro? Madrid. Madrid men. Yeah. Um, okay. I like okay. that. That that summarizes very well, I think, the the first half of the second act. Yes. Uh, now, what we didn't touch on at all in that. Yes. Is... <laughs> A, a big, 90% of it yeah is <laughs> a, a big a big thick slice of homophobia just a steaming uh <laughs> wide slice with a with a bit of uh, well, cheddar cheese on top okay i i actually have a comment on this and but before i get into it i feel like we need to to paint the scene a little bit uh scenes cuz there's Two right in a row. I, I I hate you know it was grammatically incorrect that he said scene. I hate how Landon always uses the singular when in fact you should be using the plural. You know he's so disrespectful of the rich culture. <laughs> Man. So the first scene um, of of this 
<laughs> a homophobic dick trip is the uh, dip pick dip dick pick dip dip What's, tick. What do you call you 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 went to Italy this year? Uh, yes, I did. Um, Thank you for mentioning it. <laughs> what do you call paintings that are are kind of two side by side? Yeah, it's called a diptych, not a dick. A diptych. Although sometimes they might have depictions of penises in them, so it could be a dick pick diptych. <laughs> uh, not a dip trick. No, not 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 a dip trick. That that is when you that is when you basically take your tortilla chip and you throw it across the room and use it to to scoop up some salsa, and then it comes back around and you catch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Enough of that silliness. Let's talk about the movie Wild Hogs. Thank you. Two scenes. Okay. The first of which is they're all around the campfire and, you know, their their first night on the road. I'm presuming it's their first night on the road. Yeah. They're setting up tents and uh, Martin Lawrence is, is has an inflatable tent that he's trying to blow up by mouth. Uh, they, uh, William H. Macy shits and instead of burying it, puts it in a plastic bag. <laughs> back which he carries with uh, him he carries with him it's it's not that funny but his sincerity is kind of funny um and we can go more into like what happens that night but <laughs> the the effects of this is like okay we wake up in the next morning and three of them are on this inflatable mattress under the same blanket kind of spooning each other and uh john c mcginley comes over dr cox uh, from a, scrubs a, <laughs> he's a uh, uh, highway patrolman mm-hmm. and discovers them in the woods thinking that something is uh, untoward as far as the movie's concerned um, is going on. Yeah. And how would you describe his character here? Uh, I mean, he seems to be a very committed to the cause of law enforcement. Uh, you know, he's... <laughs> um, he, uh, you know, at, well, I mean, I guess I could mention that his uniform shirt is very tight, and uh, that, I think that's in his contract. Yeah, <laughs> true. Honestly, yeah, his his character on Scrubs, who is uh, coded as very straight, also wears a lot of tight shirts. That's just, you know, there there is one. I guess there's one middle aged man who can wear tight muscle shirts in movies, and it doesn't bug me, and that's John C. McGinley. Um, he's, he is gay. This is the thing about his character. He is a gay cop. Can you even believe, guys, how insane, how nuts that would be that a homosexual person would be a cop? I can't even uh, imagine. But he walks up to them, and he is looking at, you know, their their tent has burned down in the night for comedy hijinks reasons. So they're just out in the open on this air mattress, all kind of waking up. And they're all complaining, you know, they're saying stuff like, oh, my butt hurts. Oh, well, that's just part of the experience. Right. That's why I didn't bring yeah. our wives. And and, you know, Martin Lawrence is saying, oh, my, my jaw is so sore from all the blowing I was doing. And and you see John C. McGinley just kind of looking at them hungrily lying there in various states of undress. Uh, yeah. And then they and then the first words that he says are, oh, daddy. And, uh, you know, and uh, they they jump up and that's well, that's not that's not exactly true. I mean, they do have a reveal that he is gay and. Uh, where, you know, you, you initially think they're all going to be arrested. And he says, you know, I, I'm seeing multiple accounts here of uh, public indecency and blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And uh, one account of jealousy. And he points at himself. And then it, it's kind of a reveal that he's a gay character. Yeah, I think I think they might have been. I think that they might have been revealing that he was gay with some of the smoky looks he's giving them earlier. But yes, that's the first like verbal acknowledgement that he's gay. And hey, you know well, what? I, hey, hey, hey. No, you know what? I want to celebrate this cop. 
for being open about his sexuality, both in a male-dominated, very, like, heteronormative field of police work, although ACAB, and also uh, in, like, 2006, <laughs> being willing to... T- I mean, like, let's... I just... Not a, a, a nasty caricature, but I also want to celebrate him for being proud of who yes. he is. That Okay, and that's kind of where I was going to get to with this, where it's, it's a one-dimensional joke, right? But the... It's... It's not... I don't know. It's it's weird. The, it's it is. it's played more homoerotic than. Mm. I mean, okay. I don't know where to go with this. It's it's. I I okay. Uh, bear with me while I try to articulate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that I think it's more the... like it's more like twink with you based on John C. McGinley's character. But I will. <laughs> yes. The homophobia here isn't that it's mean against gays although the depiction isn't great obviously i'm not arguing that yeah it's more i don't it's more that the four characters don't want to be seen as gay than it is let's take gay and homo you know homosexuals down a peg yeah because j you know mcginley john mcginley is in a role of power i mean as i said it's a one-dimensional caricature yes but you know he's not effeminate you know it's the caricature could have been much worse i guess what what i'm trying to get around to here is that yes this is homophobic but it comes from a place of insecurity more than meanness i feel like yeah but where like with these characters i kind of get the sense that just one slight turn would have them all exploring each other's bodies I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't I guess I didn't see uh I, I didn't see around that bend, so to speak. I didn't I didn't see that turn out there. I look, I I, I mean they, they none of them none of them make fun of him. Yeah. I mean the movie itself is depicting him as like, oh god, wouldn't it be so bad if we if someone thought we were gay? Well yeah. But well, it's not saying you know, gay people are bad. Yeah, but it is depicting him as a as a like predatory, aggressive gay guy who yeah. is making yes. a really like a pretty hard pass at them, and yeah. which I think can you know I I think that culturally contributes to this notion that like oh man you got to look out for gay guys they'll just like if they find you in the yes. woods they'll they'll just try and fuck you because. Because, yeah, because no, no argument there. You yeah. know, and, and also, I mean, the the notion that you know a a young fit, well, I don't know that a that a handsome fit gay man would want nothing more than to try and hook up with four dad bod midwestern guys, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to like who are straight, by the way, like as opposed to like going into any yeah. gay bar and meeting a bunch of good looking gay dudes. To I mean. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I can't tag I, I, this movie for not accurately depicting gay lifestyles as perceived by me, a straight sure. man. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I think what I'm trying to get to is like it, it feels like it's coming from a place of ignorance more than a place of meanness, yeah. which is contributing in negative ways. No question about it. <laughs> uh, so we're just I, trying just, to... I, I feel like all of these guys are just like. I'm not gay. I'm not gay. Unless you're gay. Are you gay? Or then, you know, they would like maybe experiment with each other. Is kind of what I'm getting. I look, I would much rather the movie where they experiment with each other. That would be way more interesting. 
I mean, look, so this is the first of the scenes with John C. McGinley. A little later yeah. on in the fun and games, like literally like like, I don't know, the 10 minutes scene. later, the next scene they they ride some more. They find a creek or a lake or a mountain creek and they all you know, jump in the creek and William H. Macy jumps in naked. And then on kind of a dare, all the other guys take their underwear off and throw them. Well, they're, they're, they're naked before he jumps in. No, no, no. They're not naked. They are. They like. William H. Macy is the only naked one. They all have their underpants still on, but then, like, inspired by William H. Macy and by the desire to be wild and oh, free. Yeah, they take... Uh, you, the the actors with middle initials in this movie have really, thrown me off. Oh, Sorry. Yes. Before yeah. John C. McGinley gets in... Yes. Uh, they're, they're already naked. Yes, but then, you know, they are skinny dipping together... And then, well, first what happens, and this is kind of a funny setup, is they're all skinny dipping together, then a random family pulls up and a bunch of kids jump in with them, and they're all freaking out, like, no, 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 go away, you don't want to swim here, do you want to swim here? And then the dad <laughs> jumps in and, and dives and sees their ding-dongs, and he's like, God, get out of the water, get out of the water, and they run away. Right after that, then, John C. McGinley shows up again, strips off his uniform, dives into the water with them, and starts trying to force them to play Marco Polo with him. And it's like, when he's talking about doing chicken fights and everything, and they're all just staring at him in just shock and confusion and horror. Like, they can't even fathom that a man would want to have sex with men. And it's like, it's not outright mean, but it's just so reflective of like, this was the movie elbowing you and saying like, oh my God, dude, can you believe if this happened? If you were like, if you were like in a swimming situation with naked and there was a gay guy there, can you even believe that? Which is, this is, this is where one of the more anthropological scenes that I was kind of alluding to earlier, where I'm like, I can see, Guys telling the story on the golf course. Yes, yes. Uh, it, like I, I, I'm not gonna again dox anyone, but I I know a boomer. <laughs> what you really? I I know I know a few boomers. Oh my god! And like I have boomer friends. You wouldn't even believe it. I I know for a fact that his boomer friend w- saw the beginning of Nocturnal Animals, and. Uh, that movie starts in the these really kind of uh, surrealistic um, kind of art house uh, art installation things with these uh, obese and o- overweight women dancing completely naked, mm-hmm. and it's it's meant to kind of set this weird tone, and you don't know exactly what's going on. But to this guy it was like, oh, gross! Can you even believe? That? I couldn't even sit through the rest of the movie. That was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. And this other boomer, you know, having heard that uh, probably on the golf course, Mm -hmm. then kind of assumed that as his point of view on the movie because someone he thought was cool, you know, took that point of view. Yeah. And so going into this scene, maybe maybe just that kind of witnessed (laughs) – to how the boomer game of telephone uh, that I've had in my own life, I could see this kind of being a story someone would tell, and then this scene becoming the reenactment of it. 
Yeah, for yeah. comedy purposes. Yeah, it does. It does feel like something that you know, almost like a studio note. Like, oh, here, I got an idea for the movie. You got to put this scene in. This happened to my buddy. Oh, you're never yeah. gonna believe it. Yes, because yeah. it's not re- like none of the none of the main characters contribute anything. It is really just this thing happens to them. They all stand yeah. there rooted to their spot, and then they just jump out of the lake, are magically dressed again, and just flee on their bikes, leaving John C. McGinley in the water. Um, Which is where the the kind of complicated nature comes in. Because I don't feel like any of the characters necessarily do anything bad, but it's the movie going, can you imagine the worst thing that could happen in yes. this situation? Yeah. Is it a naked gay guy gets in the water with four naked straight men? Yeah. I... <laughs> Yeah, 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 and and the the that it goes from their outright revulsion and othering of this, like, oh, we're not gay, mm-hmm. we're straight guys. How uh, this this gay guy and like with with his penis and everything right there, and it gets directly right. from this. It goes to another montage of them riding around with a classic rock song playing, and it's interspersed then with shots of them all stopping and standing next to each other, pissing off the side of the road, like one next to the other. And it's like, yeah. I don't even think the movie's necessarily aware of this, but it's like, oh, you, we're not gay. We're not doing gay stuff. We are all going to stand next to each other and whip out our dicks. But that's <laughs> that, that's not gay stuff. That's no, that's totally normal and cool, which well, is. That's, and that's how it's kind of weirdly engaging with masculinity in a way that like, I don't I don't understand. But I'm trying to like look at this through that anthropological lens of like that is the to me the same as well, you walk into a, a men's room and you stand at that urinal, even if someone walks up next to you and you, if you can't pee, you're not a man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that, that sort of mentality. I'm not saying that's a one for one comparison here, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I don't know. Just, just the fact that there's like one thing that's just like, ah, typical masculine rite of passage. And the other thing it's like wrong. No, never do not. <laughs> and it's such a thin, like an alien anthropologist watching this movie would be like, wait, I don't understand. <laughs> Why, yeah. Why is the well, one thing okay? Okay. I guess I, I will admit, I, I after taking that anthropological lens to it, I don't understand. Mm, but I am fascinated. True. <laughs> <laughs> maybe look. Maybe John C. McGinley was fascinated too. Maybe that's why he was trying to get so close to them. He just wanted to understand. You know, he wanted to know more. Um. Well, anyway, these these fun and games. They take us to the biker bar. There's that whole uh. There, there's that whole conflagration there with the th- th- this very. As soon as we get to Ray Liotta and the bikers, uh, the, the yeah, we can't skip over Ray Liotta. We can't Ray fucking Liotta. Okay, let, let, I'm going to say this then. Let's talk about Ray Liotta. Great performance, chewing the amazing scenery, performance, having so much fun. I'm going to say the wildest hog in the movie is Ray Liotta. He is truly I going wild. Hundred percent agree with you. <laughs> and I look, I, I mean, he's playing this as if it's like a Scorsese drama. Yeah, which which is and on, you, know, you can make the argument like, oh, he's got just one thing that he does, but it's like he's like, I don't I, like that almost makes it funnier that that he is yeah. taking his role in this completely seriously. He's doing full on rageful, you know, fueled freakouts and screaming, and the fact that he's the thing that is making him so mad and driving him so around the bend is simply the notion that there are guys who ride motorcycles who are like suburban dads. <laughs> Like he's just yeah. he's gatekeeping the concept of motorcycles so hard that it has made him like <laughs> his character from Goodfellas. Which uh, here's what I want to point out about his character. Uh, now that we're we're touching on it is and the way he's playing it seriously is it's I 
I would imagine a really difficult line to toe to go, I have to present a legitimate threat to these characters while depicting biker culture, but this is a PG-13 comedy, so whatever intimidation level I bring to this, it has to just be short of the audience thinking that the the four main characters are legitimately going to get shivved at yes. some point. Yes, exactly. Like, there's going to be, you know, of course we know someone's going to get a punch to the face. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, someone's going to, you know, get their bike demolished. Which yeah. Both things happen. Yes. But at no point do we have to fear for their lives. <laughs> Interesting. The audience, the audience fear for their lives. The characters need to fear for their lives. Yeah. Yeah. But not us. And how do you get that out in your performance? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that there is more mortal peril in the movie Zoom than in the movie Wild Hogs. <laughs> like in in Zoom, the backstory is that Tim Allen's brother murdered all of their friends. There's nothing like that. There's no death in this movie. <laughs> no, no, there's not. Yeah, but so no, Ray, Ray Liotta is really good. But the whole premise of like just this whole thing where it's like he makes this he he kind of buffaloes William H Macy into agreeing to swap his bike for this other bike, but then, oh, the bike I said I was going to swap you for isn't that bike. It's actually that rusted out piece of junk over there and no backseas. And it's like, it's just a little bit like, okay, this is a really weird and kind of like, it's a lot of shoe leather to get to the concept of them taking William H. Macy's bike. Uh, Yeah. And well, I I think we got to talk a little bit more just about what's happening in the scene where they all meet because when they walk into the bar, you know, there, there is this sort of, you know, they've had the taste of the open road. The four main characters have had the taste of freedom. Uh, they're, they're really getting into this idea, the concept that they bought into at the end of Act One. We're actually doing this thing. Yeah. Uh, and short of having a few, you know, homoerotic missteps, uh, we, we are really enjoying ourselves. Yeah. And so this is like they're stepping into what that culture really is for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And from moment one, uh, maybe William H. Macy doesn't realize it, which is funny. Tim Allen's maybe even just slightly slower on the uptake than John Travolta. But the, John Travolta immediately realizes, oh, this is a different tone mm-hmm. where we might be in trouble here. This is not the suburban biker bar that we have been going to normally where it's just other soft boys right. like us. This is the realness. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't a franchise. This is, you know, built by an actual biker. This is part of the, you know, the the biker gang ethos. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there, you know, it there might as well have been a jukebox that they went. Well, there, you know, as soon as the saloon doors open, the, up. the music does scratch off when they walk in. Does and it? Everyone looks at them. No, that literally <laughs> happens. The, the, the cliche thing, they do it. Yeah, them being in over their head like that is is kind of, you know, it is kind of funny. And it only made, you know, it, just the fact that they are then greeted with such immediate hostility, too. Just by yeah. virtue, they're not doing, they don't do anything wrong. Just by virtue of being dorks, they are immediately targeted <laughs> for uh, for persecution. Now, but that that is an interesting thing, because the, the movie recognizes, this is one of those examples of, we these aren't cool guys. No. And you know, it's kind of I guess in some way positing them as the underdogs, yeah. but the, the underdogs. It's also allowing it's allowing us to laugh at them a yes. bit. 
and um, it, it's not taking themselves seriously. And this is where I think the characterization comes in. If if the roles were reversed and Tim Allen was in John Travolta's role, I don't think this would have come off. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. John Travolta having the character in his head of I'm getting divorced, I'm broke, I've got nothing left, is entering this bar. He's got he nothing to lose. He's not going to be pushed around. Sure. He has just as much right to be here as anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And so he kind of that that's why when they're like, "Okay, we're going to we're just going to head out of here." And John Travolta is like staring down Ray Liotta. Mhm. Yeah. Mad dogging him, refusing to leave. Yeah. 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 All right, so they you know, they 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 have their whole encounter. They get ripped off. They they head back up the road, and they they have that moment where they stop. And John Travolta wants to turn around. They're, I just want to zoom in on this for a second because I think this is one of the funniest lines in okay. in the thing. They're they're going up the road. They've got this sidecar now that the evil bikers have given them. That's bolted to John Travolta's motorcycle, and that William H Macy is riding in. And so John Travolta is stopped, and he's saying, you know, William H. Macy's still sitting in the sidecar, but he's saying, guys, we've got we to gotta go back. we got to turn around. we got to get his bike back. We can't let them do that. And the other guys are saying, no, we'll get killed. And William H. Macy says, well, I go where you go. And John Travolta says, see, he's got my back. And William H. Macy's like, well, no, my sidecar is attached to your bike. I'd love to turn back and go home, but I wouldn't be able to make it on my own. I mean, honestly, how far could I roll on this thing? <laughs> <laughs> which is just like a little like that's just a little flash of like that's an arrested development yeah. joke in this movie i don't i mean i i'm curious uh i i did end up watching uh a short making of documentary about this movie oh and wow they they do talk about the amount of ad-libbing in this and a lot of william h macy's lines are ad-libbed oh my so God. Uh, I I mean I'm, I'm not the one that's gonna attribute it to one person or another, uh, but I agree with you. It's it's a it's a really funny line, but there there are other lines that feel much more ad libbed um, that come from William H Macy, and I don't know. I I wouldn't put it past uh, his his brilliant acting abilities to be able to to write a line like that in the moment. Yeah, yeah, that would fit for him. So uh, from that, John Travolta goes back and cuts all the fuel lines, as you said, and it, it causes a massive explosion mm-hmm. of, at the bar, and they get away Yeah, uh, while getting his, his bike back. But, uh, before we move on to the, the last half of this movie, um, I, I want to just take a moment to ask about Bikers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bikers. <laughs> Clearly, okay, so from the beginning of this episode, you posited, you know, about motorcycles, about bikers. I, w- I just want to ask real quick, what, what, is, what is a biker? I mean, like, uh, conceptually. <laughs> I mean, conceptually, to me, like, a, a biker is someone who is a motorcycle enthusiast who presumably rides motorcycles around with other people. It And now... yeah. And, and there's this perception but, in... But that's not a biker. That's just someone who has a motorcycle. Like, I would call the the four main guys bikers as far as, you know, era. I would call them motorcycle enthusiasts. I wouldn't call them a biker. I don't look at them and go, man, they're bikers. I, I see. I would call them bikers because I see biker as almost a pejorative term for like, oh, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're a rich guy in the suburbs who, yeah, who's okay. having a midlife crisis. You're a biker. But then what do you call the authentic thing? I mean, I, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know. It's just like, it, it's a thing that meant a different thing in like the 60s. Like, like be, yeah, being okay. a Democrat now and being a Democrat <laughs> in the 60s, very different things. Yeah. You know, 
But but they're I mean they do coexist here, and I mean this movie's positing the clash of those two worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I just I don't know I so I did a little bit of deep dive a, a tiny bit into like trying to understand what like bike enthusiasts are and bikers just so that I can like because my I just realized my entire idea of what a biker is is kind of like what I feel like a lot of people's idea of punks are mm-hmm. is like oh <laughs> they were switchblade wielding you know ethnic stereotypes that lived in the alleyways of new york city next to bins of toxic waste in the 1980s <laughs> yeah exactly. you know like not exactly you know a, a real thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there are people who so I, they're they're the stock enemies who get like punched by the ninja turtles or something <laughs> yeah exactly exactly uh so like what I found interesting is like the I guess what the pop culture has us believe our bikers are really just a subsect of bikers of that that deal with organized crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean y- yes, and I just also think that it's like there were probably m- there was probably more of a a biker tied organized crime in the seventies than there is now. I, yeah. I just like, well, I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't, maybe I, it's just something we don't hear about. <laughs> why wouldn't we hear about it? I think all of the guys who would be in outlaw motorcycle gangs have now joined anti-government militias. I think that's the, well, I think that's, that's the real was, thing. I mean, I, I can ask that too. And look, of I, how many of these people do you think are actually insurrectionists? I, I mean, listen on it. Yeah. Like I think probably lots of them. I think that it was one thing. I think that, look, I, I think that, Wild Hogs came out in around the time when the change happened. Like, it was all fun and games. You could be a rural scofflaw riding around on your bike with your dudes raising hell in small towns because it's like, yeah, well, no matter what, the president's going to be white. But then Obama gets elected, and then suddenly it's like, wait, guys, we can't just ride our bikes around anymore. We've got to, like... We've we've got to like find a compound yeah. in the woods and start ordering guns online. Oh like I, I think I think just all of the outlaw motorcycle gangs just they ha- they were like we can't we have to give up some of our our wild and free nature so that we can fight for what really matters to us. Well, what I in my 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 very brief research that I found kind of ironic is that. Uh, you know, these outlaw biker games seem to be defined by their, um, you know, turning up their nose at, uh, you know, normal conventions and, and modern society. And, sure. you know, I won't be held by any of those standards or, or ways of living life. And yet a lot of them are have organizational charts. Yeah. yeah <laughs> where yeah. where they have a treasurer. I, and I just like how do you come to that? I know, I know. I'm I, yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at this article you sent me about how motorcycle clubs, yeah, president, vice president, treasurer, secretary, road captain, sergeant <laughs> at arms. Um and, and, and I, I want to know I want to know the story of the treasurer of an outlaw biker gang. <laughs> Do they have elections? Yeah, how is someone appointed. Yeah, I know how much wheeling and dealing is going on to try and to try and get the coveted you know uh, treasurer role of the of the Hell's it, Angels. It seems like the Del Fuegos would be like if if that were the case if that were the real world scenario they would be salivating at the idea of a William H Macy walking through the door exactly exactly it's like he it's like in uh, Shawshank Redemption how Andy Dufresne becomes the uh, you know he he's yeah. the accountant <laughs> right. doing all the dirty books for all the all the criminals at the prison like it's it's like that sort of thing it's like, we need you. <laughs> 
Well, there, and there's a the point where William H Macy leans back in his chair, and all the bikers hear Schubert for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> they all start crying. Yeah, exactly. Like at the end of the movie, the way that they get away from the biker gang is they come into town and they can't find the wild hogs anywhere. But then there's that one Rita Hayworth poster on the wall, and and uh, <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm also loving. I'm I'm looking here at the at the article you sent that there's also that these biker clubs have have a process to vet new members at, where they go through several stages like you know friend of the club or being a hang around or a prospect and then eventually they get patched which is when you get like the yes. mo- and you officially are inducted and i'm looking at this and it's like so it's like joining a sorority basically like you <laughs> like <laughs> though very specifically anti women it seems well it, like they they it's like in our rebellion against polite society we we're going to basically recreate the college greek system like <laughs> so hi, higher education already a, a source of elitism and then we're going to recreate the the elitist institution within the elitist institution <laughs> right <laughs> And, and well, okay. So that article also mentioned, uh, you know, how in the 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 outlaw gangs, yeah. um, it would it would be very like they would almost like put women into slavery and and prostitution and like not great. So and I don't. And like I'm wondering. That. If, I think it's bad. If, it, if if our views on motorcycles, like to me. There's almost an instinctual like aversion to the idea of motorcycle culture mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I think, I mean, it's not explicit. Obviously, watching Tim Allen and Jay Leno ride bikes, I don't think, oh my god, they're putting women into you know prostitution rings. But there, there is something inherently like overtly toxic masculine about it that plays into this notion of like motorcycles mean no girls allowed, mm-hmm. and. I think that plays a, a lot into why I I just inherently don't like the idea of motorcycles. In addition to all the other examples that I gave. And, and look, Landon, I um I I applaud you, and I think that you are a good feminist, and all of these things. And I have to say, my aversion to motorcycles, I it has zero to do with the criminality or the or whatever latent misogyny and and violence against women and it has everything to do with me just trying to have a nice day in my neighborhood and then a motorcycle goes blazing down the street going <laughs> like that's well yes that too that, no that, that too for me that's a hundred percent of it like i want to make motorcycles illegal <laughs> simply because i am so angry at having my peace and quiet disturbed by it like i i'm angry at them for the most curmudgeonly reason i i the <laughs> the, the thought about like honestly the fact that the hell's angels traffic drugs i'm like whatever drugs are cool i i don't i don't mind whatever the the sex trafficking women well that's they're no tra- good. they're that's... not trafficking cool drugs though well okay i mean Fair. I just, I just don't get that upset about drugs in general. Like, you know, like I just like I'm not like that's not evil. The the stuff with you know the sex trafficking and sexual slavery that's real bad. I'm a huge fan of women. I don't think that should be happening. But like, I, I this is the first time hearing of it. Up until now, any bad opinions that I had about motorcyclists was a too noisy. B I associate the biker demographic with uh with wealthy dudes who vote for Republicans. That's that's the whole thing. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> the knife fighting, the cocaine trafficking, the Hell's Angels stabbing that dude at the Rolling Stones concert in the seventies, none none of that factored in. <laughs> it's pure spite. It's just it's pure spite. The Truman sp- Caps brand. Yes. <laughs> A petty spite. That's what I'm all about. Anyway, thank you for listening to my podcast. Well, you could tell by 
<laughs> the fact that the record scratch that uh, uh, we're, we're going a bit long here. So we are um, breaking this into a two-parter. We will be back next week with the second half of Wild Hogs, the sequel that no one asked for. What The whole hog. What Wild Hogs... Uh, a, a mo- uh, it just so there's just so much, you know. There's so it's such a dense, complex <laughs> movie that invites so much discussion and analysis. We we can't be constrained to just one episode. We're we're only just getting to Madrid in the movie, and I gotta be honest, I've only touched one of my notes. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> so far, oh man. <laughs> I so th- this definitely requires a two-parter episode. Yes, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. In the second, and, and also the, all the Madrid stuff. It is. I mean, that is a whole other movie. That is when this movie it becomes is. Three Amigos, and we really need to dive into that <laughs> deeply. I 100% agree. So join us next week for the second part of our conversation about Wild Hogs. Bye. Bye.